So what was your favourite part of the holidays? Really? You sure? Okay. And uh, Disneyland? You uh, you liked that? When we went there? It was okay. Okay. <laughs> and uh, Vietnam with the snorkeling and the helicopter ride. The no. The vast landscapes of wondrous scenery didn't do it for you. No, your favourite thing was Radio Wolfgang. Ah. What's that? The app. You really like the Radio Wolfgang app? Huh. Okay. Cool. And the hotel? No, that wasn't your favourite. Still, yeah. That's. It's just. You're only five years old. You sure Radio Wolfgang was your favourite thing? And getting ice cream. Right. The Radio Wolfgang app and ice cream. Great. Good summer. Dad, I didn't realise this was turned on. I just turned it off, actually. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh. It's kind of burnt now. Is it burnt them? Yeah, it's burnt. Can you chuck them out and do it again, or do yeah, you Yeah, wanna... I'm chucking them out. Okay, sorry. I didn't mean to become a dad. My parents hated each other. During my whole childhood, my, my mother lived in London, my father lived in Herefordshire. We'd get dropped off at a motorway service station, you know, halfway down the motorway so that they didn't have to see each other. My father was present when he was sober. As soon as he got home from work, he seemed to uh, drift into a pretty uh, drunken state pretty quickly every evening of the week. One of my earliest memories is my parents fighting in our laundry cupboard and my mother throwing a shoe at my father and the shoe hitting me. Reflecting back on that and a lot of other collective memories of the kind of disastrous acrimony that was prevalent throughout my childhood years made me really focus that that, that wasn't something that was that was for me as an adult. Kim got pregnant just as we were breaking up. So I really wasn't ready for it. We got back together again as a couple. During Kim's pregnancy, I resisted a lot. The whole idea of having a child and becoming a parent and... I kind of went a bit crazy for those uh, few months of her pregnancy and she could really tell you um, that it wasn't a very easy ride for her as I kind of matured, I suppose I'd say. <laughs> Most weekends, <laughs> I just binged and, and, and blotted it out. But then when he was born, it was just so wonderful. It was just so amazing to have a child. And suddenly, there I was, um, you know, strapping on the harness and wandering around the park with him and showing him off. And it was kind of like, you know, it was a completely different emotion that it stirred up in me than that which I expected. 
From the moment that he was born, um, it was a kind of a really instant decision that he was somebody I needed to nurture. My name's Finn, and I'm 15 years old. My dad's called Dom, my sister's called Acacia, and my mum's called Kim. We live in the New Forest in a little village called Tiptoe, um, surrounded by farms and the forest, obviously, and um, very small, so there's not many people in our village. And um, we're actually really close to the seaside for about 10, 15 minutes from the beach where we live. So it's really good we get the, both the forest and the beach near us, which is really nice. What's wrong? Oh, that might be the postman. I first noticed that something was wrong when I was digging in the garden and I couldn't get my shovel into the ground with my foot. And I realised that there was something a little bit weird about my energy levels. Very soon after that, I was out with a friend of mine on a horse and I realised that I didn't have the energy to get the horse to um, get over a fence. I couldn't motivate it by kicking it and urging it on. I literally just hardly had the energy to stay in the saddle. I noticed that my um, hands and feet were getting very itchy. I was getting a bit feverish on and off all winter that I didn't really notice, but looking back on pictures, I was getting yellower and yellower. I didn't realise any of it, didn't notice anything until really you're kind of in, in hospital and then you told me that you had cancer. Right. That was the first time I realised. I was diagnosed with pancreatic neuroendocrine cancer. They found a tumour on my pancreas that had eaten into my bile duct. Incidentally, they found another two tumours in my liver which meant that the uh, cancer had spread by the time I was diagnosed from my pancreas um, into my liver, which meant that it was what they call a stage four cancer, a cancer that's, that's um, already kind of virulent in your body. Understanding what was wrong was kind of good. So understanding that I had a problem and that the problem could probably be dealt with was kind of where I was at. and. Um, that was uh, quite, almost quite positive. My only really idea on cancer was kind of death. I associated cancer with death and nothing else really. So that made me very scared, I'd say. Did you think I was going to die? Yeah, probably. You were pretty convinced with that, were you? Mm-hmm. Within two weeks of... Uh, being diagnosed, they did a Whipple procedure. A Whipple procedure removes um, half your stomach, your bile duct, half your pancreas, your duodenum, your gallbladder, and some other bits and pieces around that area. Forget what exactly. Um, and then they um, cut out some of your small intestine and they, um, they rejoin your liver back to your stomach and they rejoin your pancreas back to your stomach with small intestine and then they dug out the liver tumours at the same time. Um, so that in itself um, was quite a big operation. I think my dad's very strong. 
very strong. About three months after my initial operation, they found another lump in my thyroid, which they then took I began out. to suffer from adhesions, which is the scar tissue caused by the... Operation. I was on intravenous antibiotics. I had two removed from my liver at the same time. He's, he's been through a lot of two operations. Removed Three removed from my liver and one removed from my That thyroid. operation the right cock Yeah, his scars are kind of like war wounds. I sat there for five days. Um, it's like... It looks like he's been through, like, a war or something. away all the scar tissue. But then it also shows, like... All the struggle and pain that everyone's been through in the family. So looking back on it, all the pain's just in that, like the one scar, and I think it's quite cool in that sense. Albeit with the uh, difficulties from the surgery, we thought we'd conquered the cancer. Before he was really muscly. He got a lot thinner after, after all the operations and everything. And he had a lot of hair before as well, a lot more than he has now. Finn and I would go and play five-a-side football on a, on a Tuesday night, for example, and all, all sorts of kind of activities we would do, I suppose. Yeah, we'd do a lot together and then it kind of just stopped after that. It became a lot less sporty and active. and Like before, maybe like we'd play football in the garden a lot, actually. Like, he'd go in goal and I would shoot at him. <laughs> but then after that, I couldn't really do that because if, like, I hit his stomach, I couldn't, like, we couldn't <laughs> risk hitting his stomach. And as I got older, my shot got stronger, so it was even worse if I hit him because it could just literally just wipe him out and then he'd have to go to hospital again. A lot of things stopped, I think. Like, became a lot more boring, in a sense, because he was just, like, so tired all the time. With liver disease, it's very difficult to get any energy, you know, and also just with the level of surgery, it's very difficult to get energy. It was pretty disappointing, <laughs> you know. I wouldn't really see Dad that much because he'd be sleeping in the morning because I'd have to go to school early. I mean, I wake up at 6 and then my bus is at 10 past 7. So uh, he'd just be sleeping at that time. And then in the evening, really, he wouldn't be doing much. He'd kind of just be lazing around and I'd just be up in my room, really, just on my PlayStation or something. Because I was always uh, talking to you about it, I was always surprised at how little you did actually share it, because I knew that you were feeling it pretty deeply, but you didn't seem to um, have a confidant or... You didn't want to kind of advertise it. I just thought it was a bit pointless advertising it to everyone else. I mean, who wants to hear about me? Like, that's what I kind of thought, probably. Pancreatic neuroendocrine cancer is, is, is one of the slower-growing cancers. And so we were pretty hopeful after the first operation that they got everything. But the second scan then showed that another five tumours had turned up in my liver. And so I think that for us as a family was a, a, a really our, our major blow. Uh, I explained the situation to Finn when I was in the car on the way back from the hospital. 
because uh, I think I had to pick him up from school or something like that. And the impact for me was absolutely severe because I, I realised that uh, this thing wasn't going to go away. And for Finn, suddenly he realised that this was a much more severe predicament that, that I was in than he'd realised pre previously. Previously, we thought we got rid of it. And now suddenly, we had cancer again. And uh, he broke down crying. I kept driving, but I think I was blubbing as well at that point. Do you remember that, Finn? Yeah. Yeah, well, it's all kind of a bit of a blur now. I remember talking to you about it in the car. Yeah, I can't really remember. It's quite a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Do you remember how upset you were? What, the first time? No, the second time, when I told you about the recurrence. Not really, but I, I think I was pretty upset at that time. I mean, you would be. Because, I mean, you were nearly dead, in a way. Because you had so many tumours, you'd been to hospital so many times, it just felt like this was the time when it would take you, really. It was really hard. It was a really hard thing to explain to somebody because suddenly you don't have this permanent protective ability to um, demonstrate your invincibility to your child and um, to be that... Uh, to be that captain of the ship, really, I suppose. Um, what you're saying is, I might not be around here forever. There might be a situation where you guys are going to have to find your own way. And um, I realised that was what I was saying. And I think he realised that uh, his dad wasn't necessarily going to be around for that long. And um, so it was, it, was, it was a very hard moment. And... Um, quite destroying for me and him. And I think probably, although he might be able to submerge that discussion and that whole thought process because he's young and he's got a lot of stuff going on, uh, for me it was um, a very big um, sense of internalising the emotions of my whole family, you know, my whole ship. Um, and I felt the burden of responsibility uh, very strongly at that moment. And I felt that I needed to do something positive to try and get through it. Um, and at the same time, I felt a deep sense of hopelessness. Dad, this is what we could do. Look. Like after we've done that, instead of like, look, right, we could like Especially when it. you're a kid of 14, 15, 16, Finn's 15, you've got all sorts of things going on in your life. And um, I really want him to be able to um, come to terms with these rather cruel last couple of years that have happened to him. We got broccoli? Have a look, see what we got, get it together. 
think we have any broccoli. Sausages as well. We, we, we've got broccoli, don't worry. We've always got broccoli. He could <laughs> express it, go, understand it, and then treat it as a really positive experience. I've recently done my work experience, which I did a week in a restaurant, which was really enjoyable, as I really, I really like cooking, and um, it was a great time, really. Like this, uh, this one time we just had no, no meat at all in the house. I was complaining so much because every night we were just having like vegetables and stuff. And then, like, my mum made this big shop and she bought about 50 million bits of meat, which I really liked, actually. I really think, you know, having spoken to Finn about his work experience and coming back from the restaurant, he just said it was the greatest thing ever. And he's really into it. I just thought, it's absolutely brilliant to be doing something that you're kind of passionate about. I always followed the money in my career. You know, I thought that was a good idea, to go and work in the city and all that kind of stuff, and it's completely pointless, really. I used to do equities, so it was just, you know, buy one company or another. That was pretty hectic. Football field size, trading floor, and sort of shouting on the phones all day, that kind of thing, you know. There's all sorts of ways to go off the rails as a teenager, and I think um, the more you're in tune with yourself and the more comfortable you are with yourself, the less likely you are to, um, to veer from the path that's true to yourself. Tell you what you're, you are good at, though. You're good at a brownie. A brownie, yeah. You know, I've made that brownies once. the other day. I didn't actually think they were that good. I thought they were very good. Yeah, I used about three bars of chocolate and the cocoa powder as well. I can't keep my hands away from anything sugary. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently that's not a very good idea. Apparently sugar's like the devil when you've got cancer. There's some sort of theory that, you know, you should be really sugar-free. It's hard. They decided to operate on me again um, in January 2015. And they removed three tumours from my liver, left two in there. After I had that um, operation, my subsequent scans have shown that the, the tumours have multiplied to the point where I've now got 12 in my liver. They haven't spread outside my liver, luckily. So that was all looking like, over the last 12 months, like it was going really the wrong way. But my last scan showed some stability. They showed that between January and May, the tumours hadn't grown and there were no more of them. So in, in, in real terms, it means that um, I've got a possibility of an extended you know, life expectancy. In January, my uh, oncologist said three to five years of what you've got. And um, my last scan, um, he said, well, it's stable. If it stays stable at the next scan, you know, you've got increased chance of it remaining stable. So it's kind of um, really good news. You have to be sure about what you're celebrating. You know, it could just suddenly just creep up. Like, we could have, like, a couple years of no growth and nothing happened for ages, really, years. And then suddenly it could just go, it could just turn and then there's more tumours and it'll be kind of the same thing over again and we would have celebrated for not much really. But I think he'll be fine. Just think positive really, that's how I think. I think if people around you 
are thinking negative and there's negative vibes and stuff around him, I think it's not going to go well. So you just have to all keep positive. So, like, like positive vibes and then nothing bad will happen, really. If he stays positive as well, the tumours are going to stop growing and then it's all about the mind, really. One of the things about getting cancer is it really kind of focuses you on realising that you've got to enjoy and, you know, appreciate those around you. Uh, enjoy every day for what it can bring you. So um, there's no point being too negative, I don't think. And there's definitely no point bringing all that negativity into, um, you know, your children's lives, in my view. I might have some low moments with Kim, but um, I try not to have them with Finn and Acacia. My best times with, with Finn are when we go off and we do stuff together um, and we spend the whole day just as a father and a son. So we recently learned to rock climb. We did a rock climbing course um, and we would just go off to rock climbing walls um, and we learned to do this thing together and it was a kind of um, the time in the car going there, the time actually where Finn was reminding me how to do up my harness and put on the ropes and all that kind of stuff. Just gave us a sense of um, uh, a relaxed environment in which we could just be ourselves together and feel that we were just communing whether it was through conversation or just, a, just a, a being together. For me, there's no need to be really competitive because I'm always going to be the best. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always better than him in most sports, though. So. Is that what you think? Yeah. I mean, I beat you at table tennis, at, better at rock climbing than you, better at football, better mm. at judo. Good. If he can get cancer, anyone can get cancer. So I'm not worrying too much about my health. I mean, I want to be healthy and everything. I don't want to be fat, but I'm not worrying too much to like exercise every day and stay completely fit because I don't think that will help to um, keep me from cancer because I think anyone can get cancer. Presumably, you don't want to get cancer. No. Would you be up for getting a genetic test? Uh, yeah, I would be if it stopped me from getting cancer. Why not? Yeah, if we could understand that there were any early markers yeah. that um, could indicate that you had um, a prevalence towards this or any other type of cancer. Yeah. It would be worth checking out, wouldn't it? Yeah, it would. Um, I know that there are genetic links between um, parents and children with this type of cancer yeah. where it's passed on. So I think we've got to be aware of that and... Uh, if I see, you know, any of the slightest symptoms of uh, the kind of thing that I've experienced, I think we'll be getting you tested. Yeah. The symptoms, what, like, yellow, yellow face, And just general skin. intestinal disorders, just generally not digesting food well, right? Well, how would, how, how, how would you I mean, see that, though? Well, well even... Even, I mean, like when, when it, once you've got jaundice, it's generally too late. You've generally, you know, got it. Yeah, but how would you find out that you you have 
uh, that your intestines aren't digesting st stuff properly? Well, for example, if you had um, diarrhea on a fairly regular basis or you found yourself you were quite bloated and you had flatulence a lot, okay. um, I'd, I'd be looking out for those as kind of earlier markers than, you know, general stomach upset oh, okay. to indicate that you might have some kind of gastrointestinal yeah. issue going on. Um, so when you tell me that you fart a lot, even now, that worries me. And I think about it. <laughs> and I think, does he have the same kind of issue as me? Because I literally, if I eat the wrong stuff, um, you know, I just bloat up like a balloon. So um, I've noticed over the past few years after your illness that you've kind of pushed yourself very hard after operations and stuff to try and get better. Whereas I think the best thing for you to get better would be just to rest. How, what do you think about that? Like, do you think you've been pushing yourself too hard? No, I don't. And uh, I don't think you're the only person that thinks that. But um, my feeling is that if I just sink into the sofa and resign myself to my illness and a sort of uh, a passive route to getting better, I won't get better. But that if I believe positively that I'm going to get well and I act out that positivity um, in the way of getting up, being active, doing stuff as much as I can, that's going to help me get better, both physically and mentally. I can see where you're coming from there. I think one of the things that's really helped me come to terms with where I'm at in my life is, is just a general understanding that um, there is impermanence in all things and um, change and the fact that, you know, none of us are here forever. We're all going to die. There is an inevitability to that. It's, you know, I'm no different to anybody else in that respect. Um, enables me to come to terms with where I'm at. But, but my, my real grief is um, the situation that I'll leave for my family. And um, th that involves a couple of different things. I mean, one is the outright grief of, of the kids losing their father and um, my wife losing her husband, but also the financial situation that um, I'll leave them in. It'll be a lot tougher without, um, you know, the, the breadwinner in the family. Um, and so we've thought hard about how we can uh, mitigate that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that we've done, for example, is uh, build a shed in the garden that we're converting into a B&B &B so that um, should I pass away, Kim can get some rental income out of that to pay the mortgage. But um, I think it is the whole package of um, leaving behind the ship that I'm sailing in and letting it sail on without its captain or without its crucial member makes me feel very sad. Um, and it's not a sadness about me, it's a sadness about the people I love. I think I've realised that doesn't kill everyone really and you can still have a happy life with it 
So even if you do have it, you can have a good time. You just have to make the most of it. I would say now, this cancer just doesn't scare me anymore, I don't think. You don't scare me. This episode of Fathers and Sons was brought to you by Radio Wolfgang and Mr Porter. It was produced by Lena Prestwood and executive produced by Ellie DiMartino and Harry Watson. Research was undertaken by Jessica Dickens with editing and sound design by Ivor Manley. The team would like to thank Dom, Finn, Kim and Acacia Manley for their generosity and candour in sharing their story. If you would like to find out more and support Father and Sunday, please visit www.fatherandsunday.com.